Welcome to Artistic Accomplices. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and this is the podcast that's all about art, creativity, and learning. We all could use a little creative nudge every now and then, something that will prod us, encourage us, and give us a shot of inspiration. Well, Artistic Accomplices is the podcast that does just that. It gives you small doses of motivation and creative encouragement. So as you make, create, play, and live, I'm here to share my thoughts on art, creativity, and learning. I'm also going to interview artists, writers, educators, and much, much more. So like the gym buddy that motivates you to hit the gym on a regular basis, Artistic Accomplices is that little voice in your ear telling you to hit the studio or to pull out the paints or to pick up the pen. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's dive into today's episode. Thank you for joining me once again for Artistic Accomplices. I'm Eric Scott, and on today's episode, I want to go back to something that I kind of threw together a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, um, I was kind of pressed for time, and I kind of rushed an episode out that was all about getting started. And I shared some very basic, very easy uh, tactics and strategies for getting started with your creative work. And I want to revisit one of those. I want to go in a little bit more depth in depth with uh, with this and kind of focus on that one strategy. And so again, I, I, I kind of was asking this question, like how do artists get started? How do creative people, what, what, what are some of the things that we can do as creative individuals to get ourselves started, to, to get things going, to kind of get into a flow kind of state of mind? And um, so this is a question that I ask a lot, and especially whenever I'm teaching uh, teenagers or adults, I, I, I focus on this notion of how do artists, and since I'm a visual artist, I, I'm coming at this from that point of view, but how do artists get started? How, how do you get started? That's probably one of the most difficult things because I think there's a lot of inertia that wants to keep us kind of rooted and grounded and not working and we have to kind of overcome that and so if you have have a space if you're you know ready to get to to start you're ready to begin um you know how do you do that so i i i want to explain how i do that how i as an artist go about getting things kicked off in my own work because as I've mentioned before on this podcast, I think there is this huge misconception about how artists work, that art, that artists and creative people just sort of imagine or envision this thing in their head and they just kind of sit down and spew this stuff out and, and make exactly what they're thinking about. And I, I don't think that's how artists work. Um, I think maybe some artists do, 
but all the artists that I know, the writers, the the uh, musicians, um, the songwriters that I know, don't work that way. They they come at it from a, a different vantage point. Um, so that's kind of what I want to want to dive into. So how do I get things rolling? So I might come into the studio and I, I want to start something. I want to do a journal page or I want to sit down and, and work on some paintings or I want to make some mixed media work or I might want to do a drawing. So how do I get myself going? How do I get the ideas flowing? How do I, how do I overcome any stagnant or blocked feelings that I have? Well, one of the simplest ways that I go about doing all that is this notion of play. Um, for me, playing with ideas and materials, playing with my thoughts, playing with things that are in front of me, playing with shapes and color and line, all of that goes into helping me discover the things that I want to focus on. Um, I might have ideas, but like many people, I have a lot of ideas. There, there are all kinds of things flowing and going around in my brain that I just don't know what to focus on. Um, so I, I start to try things out. And so I, I want to kind of go more in depth with that. And I want to focus on somebody and, uh, that is well known for his creativity. Now, probably like a lot of you that are listening to my podcast, you might also listen to uh, the Creative Talk podcast by Andy J. Pizza. And that's a, a very popular podcast. And I love Andy's practical advice about living a creative life, about basically being a creative entrepreneur, about making a living at this creativity thing. Um I envision my podcast more along the lines of encouraging people to get in touch with their creativity or um, helping people along in their journey on their creative journey. And uh, but I, I still love his his talks, and he often refers to John Cleese. Now, John Cleese might be best known for Monty Python. Um, so, as one of the founders of Monty Python, you know, so he's. He's really well known for that, but he's gone on to many other things. He's he's been in lots of movies. He's written books, um, and he chimes in on different things. Well, um, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of John Cleese's, and I, I was I've always been astonished at watching Monty, Monty Python. Um, I I've loved the humor, of course, but it's such for the most part, it's a very intelligent humor. I think there's a lot of other kind of more lowbrow humor that comes into play, but the way they string things together is done in such a intelligent way. Um, and the creativity, how they, they come up with some of these things that just has always blown me away. And so of course I, I, I've loved John Cleese. Um, like I said, I'm a big fan. Uh, I love whenever he talks about things. And, uh, in 1991, Cleese gave a talk that was filmed and you can actually watch it on 
on YouTube, um, but he gave a talk for video arts about creativity. So I think he was talking to kind of a group. Um, I don't know if it was like more business oriented, um, but I'll put a link uh, to the uh, to the video in my show notes as well as a transcript because I actually read the transcript as well as listening to this talk and. I just kind of want to go through a couple things he was he was talking about and he talks a lot about play in this this speech this lecture that he was that he was giving back then so i mean you know 1991 you know we're talking about a, a pretty long time ago i was actually it's a just finishing up uh 1991 finishing up high school uh graduating going into college at the time um but I think even though it's been a while, it, there's still a lot of good stuff in the talk. Um, so one of the first things he talks about is he talks about creativity as a way of operating. And I like that notion um, that it's just a way that we operate. It's a, it's a way that we are being in this world. It's not some special talent. It's not something that, you know, some people have and some people don't. But he does talk about, like, you know, you have to kind of be in the right mood for creativity to happen, for, for these things to kind of come about. Um, and I, I think that's true. But I think it's easy enough to put ourselves into that mood that it's not like, you know, we're sitting around waiting for inspiration to strike like, to strike like lightning. But there are things that we can consciously do to help us and to recognize when we're in that mood, when we're in that creative mood. And in, in this talk, Cleese talks about this notion of open and closed mode. And so he talks about closed mode as this kind of more tense business-like mode uh, we might be under a lot of stress we're trying to like get something done we're trying to focus on something um, so that that's that's something where we're very much like like you said focused on something we, we're not open to anything else it's like I've got to get this done um, you know I have a deadline I have to do these things I have this task at hand and I have to do this thing um, open mode is the opposite of that so when we're in an open mode we're much more relaxed it's less purposeful closed mode is very kind of goal oriented whereas kind of an open mode is less purposeful it's more contemplative it's it's about just kind of being curious so we're opening ourselves up and i think you know i've used that term before like being open to creativity and I th that's a good way of sort of thinking about creativity, like either you're closed to it or you're open to it. And, and it really is a matter. I mean, I do believe everyone is creative, so we just have to open ourselves up to that. We have to open ourselves up to that fact. So he goes on to say that we actually need both modes of working whenever we're doing any kind of creative work because we, we can't stay in this open mode all the time because nothing will ever get done because that's more of that playful kind of 
all these things are all these ideas are, are coming about um, we're trying out new things um, but once we kind of have this moment or this time to play and try things out we have to settle on a line of action and then once we do that okay now I have to take these steps in order to accomplish the thing that I just thought about so that requires more of a closed mode and really as we're working we kind of go back and forth so there comes a time where after a little bit of focus we need to step back we need to open ourselves up we need to reflect we need to look at things we need to assess where things are and how things are going and so we need both of that we need we need a sort of switch back and forth as we go and so any creative endeavor is going to need that that we need to be able to kind of switch back and forth between this more open-ended more contemplative mindset to one that's more focused more goal-oriented more here is where I need to to go kind of focus I want to focus on the open mode because I think that's the natural place to begin that's what's going to help us get started and getting started is that hardest part and like I said it could be because of that inertia that okay I'm not creating so I'm, I'm not in that mode of creating um, I need to get the flow going it's like priming a pump we have to we have to prime the pump of creativity in order to get the creativity flowing so how do we do that well we need that open mode and like I said it's a much more relaxed way it's more open and receptive we're open to more possibilities we're more curious we're willing to explore and so we're open to play now play is one of those words that a lot of people will kind of poo-poo the, the the they look down on that like oh you know we're here to work we're not here to play and so even if you have a creative endeavor as a job you know working for somebody a lot of times it's it's more about this notion of you know they want you to be in this closed mode you have these deadlines to to manage you have these timelines that you have to stick to you have these goals that you need to focus on and so a lot of times people think of play as the opposite of work but I really feel like play is is a very important part of creative work especially because that play helps us get into that open mode and kind of be there and try out different things and so play is not a bad idea it's not a bad word it's something that is is very needed in our creativity and so Cleese talks about play specifically at this point in his lecture and he says that there are five things that we need in order to get into this open mode uh, to, to get into this kind of playful mindset and he, he says they are space is number one number two is time number three is time number four is confidence and number five is humor so yeah he, he throws time in there twice but he, he has a, a slightly different take on each of them so I'm gonna quickly kind of 
run through these. And um, so he says you need a specific space that's away from your normal demands. And I've talked about this before. I've talked about how you need some place to be able to show up to. Uh, so even in the er from one of the early episodes, I was talking about my rules about showing up. So you need to have a space. If you're fortunate like me and you have a studio, it's easy to step away from the house, uh, the home, uh, a step away from all those things in there to come out to the studio and to to set set aside this physical location. For many people, though, it's a separate room in the house. So it might be a den or it might be the craft room. It might be downstairs in the basement. And for some people, it's even smaller than that. It's the dining room table or it's a desk in the living room. But you have to have this space. You, you need a specific space and it could just be I'm working at my coffee table. I've done that a lot. You know, I'll take my journal in and my art supplies and I'll spread out on the coffee table and that becomes my space. And I, I sort of try to shut out all the stuff that's around me. I don't worry about the laundry and I don't worry about any of that. I, I focus on this space as my place to play for a certain amount. So that leads into that second thing that you need for this open mode time. You need to set a specific time. Um, and I think that's hard for a lot of creative people because they just think, oh, I'll just be creative anytime, anywhere. Um, but if you don't schedule time for this, it's easy to lose it. And so you, you need to have a space, but then you need to show up to it. And an easy way to do that is to create a time or a schedule. So for me, a lot of times, depending on my schedule for the week, but my general schedule is on Monday, I do computer stuff. And maybe in the afternoon, I might get out in the studio. But a lot of times I get out in the studio to actually record podcasts or to work on other things. Um, but Wednesdays and Fridays are my times to be out in the studio. So Wednesdays, I usually set the entire day, but I, I'm not out here the entire, you know, eight to 12 hours just working nonstop. Cleese recommends that, that you might need to set up smaller chunks of time and that, you know, try, you know, working for a couple hours, and getting some ideas flowing might be better than trying to push through, you know, four or five, six, seven, eight hours. So, you know, being able to kind of take a break, step away, come back. So, but again, it's about this idea of, of making the time and oftentimes setting up a schedule. So that's the second thing that you need for this open mode. So Cleese brings up time again. And so, but in this, this way, he talks about time in a slightly different way. So this third element for this open mode is time. But this, this time you need time to ponder. You, you need time with the problem. And that, unfortunately, in our Western culture, uh, we are all about speed and efficiency. If you can get things done quicker, that is better for some reason. So for some reason, we feel that if we can get 
things done quicker, that must mean that it's better. But unfortunately, a lot of times with our creative work, if we get things done quickly, that means that we settle on a solution too quickly that might not be the most creative solution to that problem. So if we spend more time mulling it over and trying different things and and playing around with the problem and trying out different creative solutions, we can come up with something that's even more creative. So we don't have to rush to come up with an idea. We can just live with that for a while and play with it and see where it goes and we can come up with something that is even more creative. So time is the third element. The fourth element is confidence. And that's hard for a lot of people. This notion of being creative or uh, uh, yeah, having creative confidence. Um, if you look at little kids, a lot of little kids have that confidence. They will create without hesitation. But as adults, we start to fear that mistake. We start to fear of messing up. We fear taking a risk. I, I, I've spent episodes talking about this type of stuff. So whenever when I was talking about the creative myths that we have and the creative blocks, a lot of that goes back to this notion of confidence that we have to be confident in ourselves and understand that, yeah, we're not trying to create a masterpiece. We're not trying to write the perfect song. We're just in a process and that if we're open to this process, if we're open to the play, then we can come up with the beginning. And that's that's the thing is that the, the goal of playing isn't to come up with the finished idea worked out, completely done. It's about generating ideas. It's about trying out as many different things as we can. And so if we can go back and really look at what we're doing and, and really say, okay, there, I, there's no such thing as a mistake. I can't make a mistake. I can't mess up. The only way to mess up is to not actually do it. Then... I can have that confidence that, yeah, I can play and I can start to come up with ideas. But I also have to have that confidence that, that I might play around with ideas and materials and try different things. And it might not lead to anything. But I, I can't look at it as time wasted. I have to look at it as, okay, this is these are things that didn't work. In the future, I will come up with something that does work. And the last thing that John Cleese says that we need in order to have this mode of openness is humor. And this, is, I think, is something that you would expect from a member of Monty Python, somebody who, who's done comedy uh, for such a long time. Um, but I just think humor is, is such a, a, a need for humans in general. Um, but through humor... By not taking ourselves so seriously, then we open ourselves up tremendously. If we can be silly, be childish, um, we can come up with something very essential. 
And there's a quote from from this uh, from this talk that I really like. So uh, Cleese is talking about humor. He's talking about this, and he says humor is an essential part of spontaneity, an essential part of playfulness, an essential part of the creativity that we need to solve problems no matter how serious they may be. So even if we are trying to tackle a serious problem, we're trying to create artwork that's about a very um, serious, very um, somber experience, we still need to have humor. We still need, to, need that to open ourselves up to ideas. So being able to laugh at ourselves, being able to uh, be silly, act silly is definitely something that can help open us up and will contribute to that to that open mode. So again, the, those elements that we need that John Cleese talks about is space. We need a specific space away from our normal demands. We need time. We need to set up a specific time in order to do this play uh, we need time to ponder the problem. We don't want to come up with a solution too quickly. We need the confidence to know that this is a process and that we shouldn't fear making mistakes or messing up or taking a risk. And then finally, we need humor. We, we need to be able to laugh at ourselves. We need to be able to have some fun. And that's why I, I like that term play is that we're having fun. Um, we're trying out different things. We're not putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. We are, <clears throat> we're just trying it out. And to me, that's a very essential part of the way I work. So how do I get started? So if I'm tackling a new idea, um, I want to create some new artwork or I have an idea. So here recently, I've been thinking about this notion. I love layers. As a mixed media artist, um, I work in my visual journal, but I also work on paper and I also work on canvas and wooden panels. But I love to build up layers and I, I love using transparent materials, uh, transparent media to build up layers. Uh, and I recently started thinking about this more. I mean, I, I, I've been doing this for a long time, so it, it, at this point, it's almost second nature to me, but I kind of revisited this notion of layers, and, I, and it, it kind of solidified whenever I was in England. Um, so my wife and I went to England earlier in the summer, and you know, England is such a historical part or a historical place. Um, and as we're going around to some of these places and you're just like walking through this and you just realize like there's so much history there. There are all these layers and, and oftentimes physical layers. So going to a place like Bath with the ancient uh, uh, ruins of Bath, but then like going in on the tour of Bath of the ruins and you, you start to see all this stuff that they excav excavated from down there. And um, you just realize that places are very layered. So I was really thinking about how how places and people and memory and experiences are all very, very layered. So I have this like real general vague notion 
of some artwork I want to make. But I don't have something specific. You know, I'm trying to visualize it and I kind of see it in this fuzzy kind of very vague kind of way. But I can't envision exactly how it's going to be. And if I could, why would I want to make it? So for me, I want to play. Okay, so that's where I start. I want to experiment. I want to try out different things. I want to see what's possible. And I don't know that until I try it. So for me, this this notion of play and experimentation and exploration is a key way of getting myself going, to, to get an idea and start to toss it around to see if there's something there. So I don't just sit there and think about, about, about this. I mean, you know, thinking is part of the process. So I have this idea for this layered kind of art and how do I take those ideas and start to see what is possible? How can I make those possibilities into something that's actually real? So I have to start. I have to start pushing materials around. I have to use materials. I have to see if certain techniques work. I have to see if if my ideas can start to gel and then they'll change. And I know that. So I open myself up to this, this notion. I have to be open. So I have to use this open mode that Cleese talks about to transform what is a very vague notion in my head into something that's something that's physical so i have to try it out so i might be thinking that oh i need to use these this combination of materials or oh i might need to use this process and that technique and i need to try to do that so i can think about it but until i actually sit down and start doing it i don't know what's going to work And so I have to play. I have to explore in order to, number one, to figure it out, to see what I can and can't do, to see what works and what doesn't work. And then I have to play and explore, number two, to see if it's indeed something I want to continue to explore. Does this notion I have, does it have value? So sometimes ideas and concepts just simply die at the stage because I I don't I wouldn't say I don't see value in them but I don't see value in exploring them further at this time maybe those ideas will come up again later in my art um, but maybe they're just not going the way I had envisioned maybe things are a little bit too difficult Um, maybe I need to go back and Uh, come at it from a different angle try out something else Um, but I can't learn that until I play with this this notion so playing and experimenting is a key part of developing new ideas for me it's it's a key part in being more creative so I will sit down in with my visual journal oftentimes I mean my visual journal is a sketchbook that I carry with me pretty much anywhere. And so as ideas come to me, I can, I can reflect, I can jot down notes, I can try different things. And so the journal is a, 
a big place, a big playground for me to try out ideas. And so I can just sort of go through the motions. I can put down paint. I can write things out. I can see what is working and what isn't working. And with the visual journal, there's so, so much less pressure because, you know, it's a book with 200 pages in it. And so I'm not looking at every page as a finished work of art. I'm looking at it as a place to try out process. So it's, it's, it's not precious. I'm not trying. I know some artists do uh, take an art journal and, and they make every page a work of art. But for me, the visual journal is an everything book. It's a, it's a book where I can try things out uh, without the pressure of trying to make something that works or something that's attractive or something that that is uh, good, you know, that is crafted well. Um, I don't I, I don't feel like it has to be a masterpiece because it's in my journal. So I'm giving myself permission to play and to make mistakes and I I know you can't see it, but I did air quotes because really I do believe that there are no such thing as mistakes. So as I'm in this mode of play, it's just sort of like, okay, oh, I messed up. Well, no, maybe things didn't go the way I had envisioned or the way I had planned, but then I learned from that. Or maybe the mistake is something, as, as some artists say, it's a happy accident and that I can turn it into something. So if I can give myself that permission to simply try out a lot of different things, and that's, that's what play is. If you look at little kids, they're trying things out. I remember as a kid, you know, playing school. And, uh, you know, like my sister would be the teacher and I was the student and this was before I went to school. So, you know, I was like three or four years old and that was a way for me to try out going to school before I actually went to school and for kids that's that's a way that they learn play is one of the strongest ways that we learn as children but it's also a way that we can learn as adults unfortunately as adults we put all this pressure on ourselves and all this judgment on ourselves and all this attachment on on ourselves and it's hard sometimes for us to allow ourselves to really try out lots of different things and and not make it a precious kind of thing that we're working on so giving myself that permission to play the journal is a perfect place for that so i have that and i and i'll work out ideas and i'll get some notions and i'll get kind of directions going but another thing that I like to do is I like to actually sit down with the materials and make art. So I'll put the journal away or I'll put the journal off to the side and then I go about like, okay, I am going to try to make some more finished works of art. So I work small. So I pull out little pieces of paper or little panels and I'll pull out 10 of them or five of them or, you know, just a few that I can start playing around with. And again, that notion of play, of keeping it spontaneous, of keeping it fun and exciting and not too much pressure on doing it perfectly and making a masterpiece. And that's 
why I want to keep it small. So first of all, small things don't use up a lot of time. I don't feel like I have to spend a lot of time making this little thing into something magnificent. Um, so it just physically does not take as much time to do something small as it does to do something that's very large. The other thing is that when you make something large, you become more attached to it as a larger work, as a that, oh, this is something more substantial, so it requires a more substantial effort. And if I'm attached, and I talked about how attachment can be a creative block, that when we become attached to our ideas or to our materials or to concepts or to whatever, then we can hinder our own creative process. So by working small, I'm not so attached to them. If I mess them up, if they don't turn out well, okay, so what? They didn't take up a lot of time. They don't take up a lot of materials. And I'm not attached to them as, as I would be to like a two foot by three foot panel. You know, a, three, a two foot by three foot panel is going to take much more time to work on. It's going to take much more time and much more materials physically. And then it, it just becomes like, oh, it's this big thing. I need to make something amazing out of it. But if I work small, then I can, I can easily try out lots of different things very quickly. And again, I can give myself permission to keep working. To stay open to the to the process so I can play with different materials so the visual journal is one way that I can play with ideas materials concepts techniques process but then also sitting down and getting into a mindset like I'm gonna work on some small pieces and try out different things but it's still this open mindset this open mode of working trying to stay open to the possibilities, trying out different color combinations or trying out different techniques. Ooh, I like the way that technique worked on this piece. Let me try it on this piece. Oh, that didn't work so well on that piece. So let me try it a little bit differently on this piece. And so there's a little bit of judgment actually maybe not judgment so much, but as assessment evaluation. And so I'm looking at uh, kind of real quickly, oh, that's not quite working. Let me try this. But it's not sitting there going, oh, man, I completely suck. I can't do this. This is too hard. Oh, I'll never make good art. That's a different kind of judgment. So that idea of being able to assess myself fairly and openly and, um, and without this harshness, this self-loathing sometimes that comes in, um, is, a, is, yeah, totally different. So that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to evaluate and to assess the work and see what's working, what's not working in a very quick kind of way. And so then I can keep going. So all through this, working either in the journal or in one small pieces, and sometimes it's both. I have the journal sitting next to me. I'll be working on some small pieces. Oh, this idea comes up. Let me try it out in the journal. Then I can come back to these pieces. So all during this process, I have to stay open. And then, you know, I got to be careful because 
those creative blocks that I've talked about before can creep in. So it's going to be easy as I work, as I'm trying to play, it's going to be very easy for resistance, judgment, and attachment to creep in. And they're going to close me down. They're going to shut me down. They're going to they're going to get in my way, and then all of a sudden I'm going to I'm going to have anxiety and stress, and I'm going to feel like oh I've got to get this done, and and all of a sudden I'm in that closed mode that that Cleese was talking about. That closed mode is going to be very important for whenever I decide like okay this is how I'm going to do this. If I want to focus on maybe making some bigger work, or I've kind of I've finally kind of figured out the process that I want to do. Yeah, that closed mode is going to be very important. But if it creeps in without my knowing it, or if it creeps in too early, it's going to shut me down. So kind of going back to these these um, creative blocks that I've talked about before, this idea of resistance, judgment, and attachment. So as I'm playing, I've got to stay open because if I start to resist ideas, if I, if I start to... S- see something I'm like oh no I don't want to do that that that's actually a signal that like yeah I need to do that if I'm resisting that let me push through that because if I resist it it's going to stop me it's going to keep me from advancing forward it's going to keep me from actually playing and so trying to um, keep the, the notion of potential and the notion of possibility clear in my mind so that I'm not resisting possibilities and I'm not resisting the potential of things. Keeping this notion of judgment sort of at bay, yes, I can look and assess the work, see what's working and not working, but I'm not going to judge it harshly and in a way that is more about ego and about myself. Um, I'm going to assess it but if I can even not even do that, if I can just be like, oh, let me try this. Oh, let me try that. Oh, let me jump over here and do it on this one. And next thing I know, I can have 10 different things going. That's going to be even better. Then I can go back and look, oh, that worked. Oh, that didn't work. And then that notion, I talked a little bit about it already, about attachment. If I'm attached to the way things are supposed to be, or if I'm attached to the size of something, um, if I'm attached to the way something is starting to develop. So I might look at something and go, oh, I really like that. That's really cool. I might not want to do anything else to it because I don't want to mess it up. But again, that's a cue to me. That's a a reason for me to go ahead and mess it up, especially if it's a small piece or if it's in the journal. If I mess it up and it, it becomes the ugliest thing that I've ever made, so what? I don't have to sell it. I don't have to put it out on display. I don't have to show it to anybody. But often, like, I'll mess it up and not be happy with it, but then come back later and be like, oh, wow, that turned out really cool. So I do have to be really careful as I'm in this this mode, this open mode, and I'm trying to play and I'm trying to experiment, I'm trying out different things. I have to be careful that those ideas of uh, resistance, judgment, and attachment aren't creeping in and then if they do creep in I need to recognize them I need to acknowledge them and let them go let them kind of float away into the ether and and keep going and then at some point I do 
decide, oh, this is working. I want to make something bigger, or this is my new line of inquiry. This is, this is worth exploring in a more focused way, in a more deliberate way. Or sometimes it's, oh, I've got an art show coming up in two months. I need to make 30 pieces of art before then. There's nothing like a deadline to really get you motivated. Then I have to sit down and really use that closed mode. I have to kind of, I've, I've got to feel that anxiety, that stress, that kind of feeling like, oh, I've got to get this done to help propel me to get the work done. Because if I always stay in this open mode, one of possibility, one of just play and trying out things, then I might get a lot of ideas started, but I may never resolve my creative problems. I might not make the work that I want to make. Um, I have to shift. And so when I shift into that more closed mode, that's when I can become more focused, more goal-oriented, more about moving forward with an idea. But that idea came from my play, my exploration. So that kind of wraps up uh, my thoughts on this notion of play. Um, I don't know how well I kind of explain things, but um, it's to me, that is a key component of making the artwork that I, that I make. And I think that play is, is that, that time whenever I discover a lot, things that I could never have thought about or come up with if I just sat and thought about them, that it's by physically doing these things, physically making the work, physically pushing material materials around on a page or on a canvas that I start to figure out what works, what's not working. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I want to go. No, that's not where I want to go. Um, and to me, art is always about discovery. If I know exactly what it's going to look like in the end, why do I really want to do it? So I want to be able to discover something new. I want to, 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 to take, even if they're techniques and ideas that have been knocking around in my brain for years and years and things that I've done many times before, I can always discover something new by playing with the possibilities. And that to me is what play is about. It's that notion of discovering what the possibilities are in a very low pressured, very curious kind of way and allowing myself to stay open to those possibilities and understanding that a lot of times those possibilities will lead me in directions that I could have never predicted up until that point. And I, I think that's the beauty. That's, that's the beauty of creativity. That if we allow ourselves to be open, it will take us to places that we could never have imagined. So anyway, I'm going to leave you with that thought. Um, thank you so much for giving me another listen. Um, ho hopefully you got something out of this podcast. Um, 
as always, think about, you know, if you have questions, comments, concerns, feel free to email me, feel free to to message me on Facebook or wherever. Um, leave comments on on the uh, podcast website. But anyway, um, thank you so much. And as always, happy creating. This has been Artistic Accomplices. I'm your host, Eric Scott. Thank you for joining me.